you're listening to That'll Preach, and as a weekly podcast, I'm Brian with my co-host Paul. He's actually here in the flesh. It's a very special weekend. He actually came to surprise me. I did. Uh, for my ordination dinner. I got ordained at our church. Very for exciting. Us. Yeah, it was very exciting, legit. and uh, it was a great surprise. Paul comes out of the uh, office with a doors, guacamole chip. With guacamole chip, <laughs> feeds it to me. It was quite romantic, I must say. But uh, yeah, it was very, very special. So we have Paul here. We're going to be recording live in the same room. Exciting. But uh, in the future, because obviously Paul left us, he's now teaching in Michigan at Hillsdale College. He's a professor there. And uh, so we're going to try to stay away from anything that would get him canceled. <laughs> but... Uh, we will be continuing the show long distance, but for now, as as much as we can, we're going to record live together. What and, if we uh, never actually end up going long distance? What if I just keep coming back to Tallahassee and we keep doing it in person great. and if filming? If you'd like to fund this endeavor, you can uh, mm, follow us on That'll Preach Podcast. It's not a bad idea. On Instagram, if you want to get more updates about our stuff. Also, make sure you subscribe to us. Obviously, we used to be part of the Four Oaks Midtown Podcast, but we branched off. We have our own channel. And uh, we'd love to keep this thing growing, so make sure you subscribe, share with your friends, and please leave a review. Leave a review of our show that really helps us out. And uh, we got a great show for you today, continuing our series on all dead guys, looking at some of the figures in church history. And uh, this is something kind of like a, a fun experiment for us because we haven't really been that familiar with these guys. Brian, you're not supposed to tell them that. No, it's we true. are full fledged experts. We're learning this with you, right? <laughs> we were doing this with you. So uh, we're going to be continuing that today by looking at an early Christian document called the Didache. That right. Or Didache. Didache. No, it's, it's Didache. Didache. But uh, before we do that, we've got a, a little segment we like to start every show off with called A Hot Take, where we give. A very polarizing opinion on something. Usually not very polarizing. Yeah, usually They should not. be more. They should be. Uh, my hot take today is that physical books are overrated. I, I would go all digital if I could. Okay, I thought you were saying all like Kindle. as opposed to movies. Oh, you mean as opposed no. to ebooks? Yeah, I think ebooks are great. People are like, oh no, I love the taste and the smell and the feel of physical <laughs> books. I'm like, no, you don't. You're just afraid of the future. Uh, okay, You're so afraid of progress. Give me, give me your best argument for why digital books. You can access all your whole library in an instant. So there's convenience. It makes moving really convenient. Okay. Uh, they don't wear or tear. Okay. Really great for research papers, or if you need to quote something or find something, you can you right, find a up. word you real can, quick. Yeah. You can search it. You mm-hmm. can find keywords. And. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it just, it, it makes everything so, con- it's really convenient. So basically what you're saying is you're a millennial. I'm a millennial. <laughs> Your whole exactly. argument was based on convenience. Yeah. What about the beauty of sitting with an old book outside, smoking your pipe? And then your pipe falls on the book and it burns up? <laughs> you didn't think about that, did yeah, you, Yeah, that's right. But there's an argument from beauty for physical copies of books. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe Kindles will get more beautiful or tablets will get more beautiful. What or- if you run out of battery? Mm. What about the glare from the sun if you're outside and you can't see anything? They'll fix that. <laughs> okay. You just move into the shade. I mean, there's going to be glare on a book. There's no shade in Tallahassee. Books, if you're in the sun. What? It, yeah, if, you, if it's too bright outside, any you know. No. White pages reflect onto your eyes. What if you have a Kindle version and a physical version for every book? So you can read the physical version, but then control to F me, in your Kindle to find whatever you need to, to find. Just, 
I love the fact that I don't have to take up all this space with books. I, I was just thinking the other day, you don't like you're you're you don't have many physical books. No. And I've you, given you away give, a ton. You give them yeah. all away. Yeah. But that means your office, which we're sitting in, we were just commenting on how it's bare. <laughs> you need more books in here. No, no. I like I like leaving a, a, a like no footprint. So you're off the grid book speaking. Yeah, or, or they're just all in one place. I just like that. I just do like you that do audiobooks? Feeling. No, but I, I maybe so I will. You just want digital. I literally sometimes I'll just have my Kindle read to me. Like you can do that with your phone. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, wow. I'll read on my phone. That's how terrible I am. I'll read on my little phone. I don't mind it. I'll read on my computer screen. You're so it. strange. It's gonna hurt your eyes. It's all this stuff. Man, my eyes are already dead. <sighs> it's not like I don't picture reading reading for leisure. On a screen. Maybe not. I mean, if I think there's like a good fiction book, I'll buy the There you go. There you go. Back. Okay. Yeah. It was really get... hard reading fiction on. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, there's okay. something to it. Okay. There you go. We can compromise. I would love to have a physical bookshelf. I mean, I have one, but what I'd want is it's just the best books. The best books I'm going to have physical copies of. Technically, ebooks are also physical because if they weren't physical, you couldn't read them. There you go. <laughs> Your philosopher. I know. We have a, a bona fide philosopher on the show. Well, <clears throat> speaking <throat> of uh, physical things we can read, we can physically read the Didache. It's actually not that long. You can find free copies of this online. We have a free PDF because uh, we're low budget here. <laughs> but uh, there's a lot of stuff in the Didache that uh, is fascinating. We, Paul, you want to give a little intro to what this Didache is? Why do, we, why do we even care? Why are we nerding out about this? Is it just, is this just the, the, uh, the musings of... Theological nerds? Or? It is. No. Oh, oh wow. No. <laughs> We're just going to throw okay. it out there. The Didache is the first piece of um, writing that we have in the early church that is basically addressing new converts. So scholars say that it comes from the first century. Maybe it comes from the early second century. But it prescribes to new Christians. It's kind of like a handbook or a manual for Christian life. It gives a section on ethics, gives a section on baptism, communion, Lord's Supper, and then some stuff on church structure and fasting and ends with a little bit about the end time. So it's kind of like when you get initiated into a new church and they give you like your your little welcome pamphlet or your catechesis, whatever, this was that version in the early church. And so some scholars date this as early as 50 AD. So this could have been written, you know, within 20 years of the life of Christ. Um, and it was written specifically to Gentiles. So these are new Christians in Gentile regions of the Mediterranean who are becoming parts of the church. And this is Christian song. This is what you need to do. This is what the Christian life looks like in a nutshell. It's kind of like if you were to go in a time machine and you went to a first century Christian service, this would be like the little brochure at right. the front of the church. Yeah. That they'd be mm -hmm. like, this is what we do. Right. Or this if you go to a, believe, yeah. like a membership class, this is like their membership class thing. Right. Uh, and like you were saying, I mean, this was, I mean, this was highly regarded in the early church. So much so that some of the early church fathers wanted to include it in the canon. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, this is amazing. Like the people who wrote this, would have would have probably known the apostles. Mm -hmm. They, this is the earliest insight outside of scripture that we have to what the church was in those days. Yeah, in terms of church practice and right. liturgy and what it looked like. And so yeah. the people writing this would be like, "Is this right? I don't know. Let's ask the apostle John." Yeah, and he would write back and say, You're, "You can imagine that the fact that this is such an early source gives us a unique look at what was important to the church in its inception in the earliest days." 
and maybe what we should focus on is more important. Now, hmm. the difficult thing is that it's a different circumstance. Um, there's a couple interesting things they talk about. They talk about prophets and yeah. apostles. I mean, they were still contemporary at the time. Right. So we don't really talk about that as much, but we, we'll, we'll get into that. There's some weird stuff. There is some weird stuff. But, um, but that's okay. Like That's what you expect when you're reading about... There's a lot of similarity. That That's one thing to point. There's a lot of overlap with what we'd expect the first church to have looked like in terms of practice in the Christian life. But then there's also stuff that you look at and you go, yeah, it's the first century. Things were still being developed. Uh, stuff is not as neat and tidy and clean as what we see later. But it's, it's very on the ground, gritty, pastoral. Um, hey, we've got a bunch of new converts who are Gentiles. What do we do? And we're sort of not making this up on the fly. But we've got the teachings of the apostles, we've got these oral traditions, and we need something quick and short to tell them about the Christian life, and so this is it. And so it is really short. It's really easy to read if you find it online. It's a couple pages, and it's broken up into little chapters, so we enjoyed going through it. And that's the heart behind this series, Old Dead Guys. I mean, we're, we're focusing first on the apostolic fathers. These, this is the second generation of Christians. These are people who were discipled by the apostles and by the original disciples, and are the people who are taking the baton from the first generation and passing it on to the future generations. And the Didache is sort of the, the, the primary text that they're using to order their church. Yeah. Uh, so there's really, there's three sections. Uh, the first section focuses on what's called the two ways. It's a treatise on basic Christian theology, morality, and conduct. By the way, the translation we're using is from LegacyIcons.com. That's the free version, so if you want to check it out, go there. That's where we're getting a lot of the information, and we like their translation. Uh, the second section deals with the administration of the sacraments, so baptism, the Eucharist, which is communion or the Lord's mm -hmm. Supper, and anointing with oil. Yeah. So those are three administrations of sacraments that they're speaking about. So there's two ways on theology and morality. Then the second section, sacraments. Third section is relations among Christians. So it's ways to be hospitable to one another. And underneath this hospitality section, they talk about the hierarchy of the early church. Right. So there's bishops and deacons uh, and prophets, like we said. And these were ministers who were speaking in tongues, apparently, and yeah. uh, giving utterances, something mm -hmm. like that. So similar to the things we see in First and Second Corinthians. And uh, the final section, there's actually a fourth section called the Apocalypse or on the Apocalypse, which right. is the end times. Actually, the book of Revelation in Greek is actually called the Apocalypse. Mm -hmm. And uh, this might indicate that the Didache was actually written possibly before Revelation. Right. Um, so very interesting insights there. So I, I think this is going to be a, a fruitful discussion. But uh, this is not in the canon, although some... Early Christian writers wanted to put in the canon, like mm -hmm. Paul said. But just because it's not inspired doesn't mean it doesn't have helpful things to teach us. Sure. And gives us a unique insight into the early church. So let's talk about the, the first section, the two ways, two paths of life. And uh, the, the first path is, well, sorry, the two ways that you can go in life. One is the path of life. The other is the path of death, which follows sort of the, the teaching of the book of Proverbs. And what we're going to see here is... A lot of quotations from, you, you hear things from the Ten Commandments, mm -hmm. you hear things from Matthew, from yep. the Gospels. Yep. So they're clearly using those as sources. But it's very important that if you read this text, and it's meant to be 
an intro to what the Christian life is. It's very focused on morality yeah. and the moral life that you live. That being a Christian is not just believing things, but it's living a certain way, living by faith and obeying the commands of God. And that's why he says that the way of life is this. This is a quotation from Didache. The first, the, the way of life is this. First of all, you shall love the God who made you. And second, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, those are the commandments. Sounds that familiar. Jesus talks about, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about abstaining from the flesh and the body, turning the cheek. If someone makes you go one mile, go with him for two miles. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone takes your coat, give him your shirt also. Uh, what else? Woe to him who, is, who receives. If, if a needy person receives charity, that's fine. But if you're not in need and you receive charity, that's not good, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and so, or, or if you, you take charity in an unlawful way, you have to repay what you took. Um, so there's a lot of moral commands and he goes on talking about commands towards your neighbor don't murder don't commit adultery they actually say don't murder a child by abortion nor Mm -hmm. kill a child at birth so it's a very strong social witness there yep but uh a lot of moral instructions were important for these early christians and not not just they're not just moral they're not just moral teachings for the sake of moral teachings but these like you said brian they start out by framing this in terms of this is the way of life meaning this is this is the way god designed humans to be so a good life objectively is one that embodies these values that respects the dignity of persons that respects the dignity of of your own body that doesn't engage in licentiousness or extreme forms of behavior or extortion or oppression or lying or deceit Um, and so that is life consists in doing these activities so it's not there there might be this tendency that you know we see or we read this as legalistic but that's not the goal here in the same way that Moses tells the people, I lay before you life and death sort of thing, the way of life is the way that God intends for humans to carry out their activity, and it is good for them. And so these quotations that are coming directly from Scripture, this is just the Sermon on the Mount, right? If anyone strikes you on the cheek, turns to the other also, if they compel you to go one mile, go with them again. These are all coming from the Gospels and Scripture as the specific prescriptions that God gives his people on how to live a good life and, and avoid living a bad life. So it is good for us to be this way. It's very practical too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're, 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 they're so concerned about what sets apart this Christian community is that we follow these commands right? and mm-hmm. we're, we're setting ourselves apart by our moral behavior. Yeah. Um, there's a, he talks about the, the writer, the Didache, or the writers, mm-hmm. my child, be not a complainer, since it leads to blasphemy. Mm-hmm. Do not be stubborn or evil-minded, for all these things give birth to blasphemy. So, yeah. You know, he's saying, if you start complaining, it's going to lead to blasphemy, right? He says, mm-hmm. if you start lying, it's going to lead to theft. If you start uh, being lustful, it'll lead to sexual promiscuity. Um, it, this, it's, it's very much along the teachings of Jesus saying, you know, if you lust, if you lust for a woman in your heart, you've committed right. adultery. I mean, it has a very strong moral teaching there. Yeah. And uh, what I love too is he says, okay, if, if you want to avoid that path of life, what do you do? He says, my child, again, a very Proverbs kind of like yeah. phrasing. My child, remember him who proclaims to you the word of God. Remember him night and day and honor him as the Lord for wherever he speaks, the Lord himself is there. So he's probably talking about teachers or maybe apostles. Sure. I'm, not, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. And he says, every day seek out the company of the saints. 
that you may find rest in their words. That's good advice. So basically, you know, you need to be around your church. Yeah. You need to be around people, godly Christians who can give rest in their words. And then he's very concerned about, you know, if, if this is the truth, don't have division, right? He says, uh, do not, um, what does he say? Do not cause division, but bring peace between those who dispute and judge righteously, right? Give to people who are in need, right? Be obedient to your masters. Hate hypocrisy. Don't forsake the Lord's commandments. Confess your sins in church. Yeah, that's a big one. Right? I mean, there's a very... In church. That, that's right. a practice that was there from the start. So there's this deep sense of being a Christian is being in this community. And yeah. not just what goes on in your head, but it, Christianity is about what goes on between you and your neighbor. Right. You and the people in your church. You and the people that you are in a relationship with. Yeah, how can you say you love God who you don't see if you can't love your brother who you do see? So this is, it's a its a gentle but firm affirmation that the first commandment is to love God, but you can't love God without loving your neighbor. And God entrusted you to this group around you um, comprised of believers, and then he's going to talk later about the specific structures of authority in place to guard and keep the faith and to keep right. order and things like that. But it is, it's, it's very practical and on the ground. I think that's just the, the best way to think about it. It's not meant to be a theological or heady text, but this is, this is what the Christian life looks like in a, in a nutshell in, you know, four pages, right? If you're just giving someone an elevator pitch, you've got your ethics, you've got your sacraments and you've got your church structure. Yeah. This is what discipleship look like. Yeah. And there's a lot to learn today. I mean, do we speak about people in these clear terms about how, what it means to be a Christian? They're not afraid of legalism here. This is not legalism. Like right. you were saying, they're saying this is the way of life. This is what it means to be a Christian, right? Uh, you, you, you have to live a certain way because you're a Christian, not to become a Christian, but because you are a Christian, this is how God's redeemed people live. Mm. And what a, I mean, that's amazing. Like how, how much do we emphasize that when we says, look, if you, if you become a ch member of our church, this is, these are the moral things you're committing to. Right. You know? And, uh, I think that, uh, very early on, you see in the church, they were very concerned about how you behaved. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of these instructions for the, uh, the sacraments and the, and the uh, practices in the early church. Yeah. Right. There's some interesting ones in here. We've got talk about instructions on, uh, food. Yeah. We talked about this one a little bit earlier. So what is interesting about this food stuff? I mean, the actual quote is now concerning eating, observe the traditions as best you can, but don't eat meat sacrificed to idols for it is the worship of dead gods. Yeah. Which seems, you think back to Romans 8, where Paul is talking to believers, and then 1 Corinthians, there's the issue of eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols. And Paul says, basically, there are two groups of Christians. You've got Christians with weak consciences and Christians with strong. If it doesn't bother your conscience that this meat was sacrificed, go ahead and eat it. But for the sake of your weaker brother, don't. So there's a kind of a consequentialist argument Paul makes. Don't do something if it's going to make your weaker brother stumble. What does but consequentialist mean? Consequentialist just means doing something for the sake of the consequences. Okay. So Paul is saying, if, if you're eating meat here is causing someone else to stumble, producing this bad consequence in the church, then don't, don't do that. But it's not intrinsically wrong. Whereas here you see the Didache just prescribing sort of a blanket claim, 
don't eat meat sacrificed to idols because it is for the worship of dead gods. So it seems like the Didache is contradicting Paul. Seems like it. It seems. So one theory is that the Didache was written around the time of or shortly after the Jerusalem Council of Acts 15. And right. there we see okay. some prescriptions given when James and some of the other church leaders meet in Jerusalem. What are the prescriptions that we laid down for the new Gentile Christians? Circumcision, uh, abstain from sexual immorality, and abstain from the meat of strangled animals. So there's a food or dietary component in that. And you could see maybe that's one holdover. Maybe that's one point of connection in the Didache. These are Jewish Christians writing for Gentiles. And so, you know, this is maybe one area where the Didache gets it wrong. Or it could be a contextual kind of thing where they're like, you know, for the sake of these Gentiles, you you, you probably got saved out of a pagan place where you ate meat offered to idols. And now that you're a Christian, it might be good to abstain from that so it doesn't mess with your faith. Change culture, like begin thinking about life differently. Could be. But uh, again, this is one of those things that, uh, I don't know, it's interesting. I mean, it it, it sort of shows us that uh, maybe there's some diversity of opinion on certain practices in the early church. Um, just a little bit about baptism. It's uh, very early on. It says, uh, "Baptize the catechumen." Catechumen is basically what is it? the person who's who's training to, to become be, into right. the church. Yeah. And, and by the way, the, you couldn't just—it wasn't like willy-nilly. You're a member. I mean, this, right. there's a rigorous oh, yeah. process mm-hmm. to make sure, and rightfully so. I mean, you sure. could lose a lot, and they were a persecuted minority. So if you wanted to join, you had to know what you were getting into. Yeah. But he says, uh, you baptize the catechumen in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we have that yep. very early mm-hmm. on. In and running then, water. Yeah, right. <laughs> in one, running water. Uh, but if you don't, you can basically dunk, pour water on their head three times, not dunk them. Right. Pour water on the heads three times in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He also says that uh, before the baptism, let both the baptizer and the catechumen fast. So if yeah, you're going to baptize someone, you've got to fast and they have to fast. I wonder what the reasoning is for that. I don't know. I don't know. Fast a day or two before. It might be to consider what it is or to as a show of piety. I, I but why why does the person baptizing have to do it too? I'm not sure. Maybe just to to fully immerse yourself in the gravity of the situation. Maybe. Or, maybe. I mean, it shows such a high view of baptism early on. Though. It does, yeah. I mean, this is a very uh, sacred type of thing. And fasting also. Fasting was seen as a regular practice of the right. church that he talks about later, but... It's not the sort of infrequent thing that we think about today. It was very much part of the life of the early church. Well, the Didache gives instructions concerning fasting as well. That's the next little section. And it says, don't let your fasts fall on the same day as the hypocrites, Hmm. for they fast on Mondays and Thursdays. Keep your fasts on Wednesdays and Fridays. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know what to make of that entirely. It could be like what we were talking about earlier, just trying to... carve out a different culture for the new Christian church. Sure. That, Just yeah. let's look a little bit differently than the, the culture that you're coming directly out of to be recognizable as something other. But rarely do we consider fasting a regular practice of yeah. church life. I know. Jesus said when you fast, not if you fast. Right. Do That's this. That's true. So baptism was held in high regard. Fasting was held in high regard in the early church. Uh, also, we have prayer. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, don't pray as hypocrites, but Pray the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. And so the Lord's Prayer is actually it gives uh, it the whole, written. The whole thing. Yeah, the yeah. whole thing's written in the Didache. So the Lord's Prayer was used. And it says, uh, pray this way three times a day. So pray mm-hmm. the Lord's Prayer three times a day. That was an early practice. That's um, not bad advice. Not a bad not bad. How many advice of us even all. do that? I know. Yeah. Right? <laughs> now here's the big one concerning the Eucharist. Yeah. All right. And they give a little bit of a liturgical way to say it uh, concerning the cup and concerning the bread. 
So they have these little phrases. But the, the really cool thing is he, he talks about what the, the bread symbolizes. Hmm. And he says, the broken bread, as this broken bread was scattered upon the mountains and being gathered together became one. So may your church be gathered together from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. For yours is the glory and the power through Jesus Christ unto the ages of ages. I love that image Why is of that the called? bread being broken and being scattered and then coming together again. And it, it shows that from the very beginning, the, the Eucharistic meal, the Lord's Supper, was a meal for Christians as the body of Christ gathering together. Um, and he goes on later to say, don't eat or drink of this unless you're baptized, unless you're part right. of the church. So they have a very high view of this already. But it is irrespective of geography, uh, race, gender, whatever, it is the meal that brings everyone together. It levels all of the social classes. And um, it, it's a very beautiful picture of the body of Christ being multi-generational, multicultural, multi-class. Um, and yeah, you get that from the first century, that there was this very high understanding of the Lord's Supper as something unique for the body of Christ, for the church. He says, don't give the holy things to the dogs. Yeah, that's... <laughs> right. We see right. that language, yep. Uh, so, again, just to summarize, food, lots of talk about that. Right. Fasting, prayer, baptism, and the Eucharist. These are all very important things uh, in the early church. High sacramentology, high view of the church. Talks about ointment a little bit, hmm. right? Uh I guess they were putting ointment on people and, and seeing that as a blessing. I don't, there's well, not too much James about talks it. about anointing right, with the true. elders for the that's sick, true. so there's there's a prescription for that in the right, New Testament. Right. Um, we also have some teaching about life in the community. Mm. And uh, here is where we get into talk about the apostles and prophets. Now, I'm going to read this little section, and we'll talk about some of the yeah. peculiar parts of this. So the Didache says, concerning apostles and prophets, act according to the gospel's teaching. Receive every apostle as the Lord. He should not stay for more than a single day or two days if necessary. But if he remains for three days, he is a false prophet. When he leaves, let the apostle receive nothing except bread until he finds a place to stay. But if he asks for money, he's a false prophet. Do not test or judge any prophet who speaks in the spirit. Every other sin will be forgiven, but this sin will not be forgiven. And not everyone who speaks in the spirit is a prophet, but only he who follows the ways of the Lord. From his behavior, then, you will know a false prophet from a true prophet. And he basically goes on to say, if the prophet doesn't teach the truth, he's a false prophet. Um, if he performs a mystery to the church, but, uh, does, or, I'm sorry, if he, if he actually asks anyone in the spirit, give me money, don't listen to him, right? Uh, so the, the character of a prophet shows whether he's true or false or not. That's yeah. a big part of it. More than his message. More than his message. Yeah. But uh, apostle and prophet seems to be interchangeable, right? He says, receive every apostle, but if he remains for three days, he's a false prophet. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of... That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know if it's... Uh, I think he might be equating them as someone possibly. with a direct message from God for the church so or a few possibilities. Yeah. He could be talking... I mean, it seems like he's talking about the actual apostles. So, yeah. you know, if you have an actual apostle coming to you, um, and he might have a prophetic gift, mm -hmm. 
Uh, he should not stay for more than a single day or only two days. I don't know why that is. Maybe because apostles I, are always on the move. They're planting churches or something. Or maybe he's saying, you know, beware of freeloaders. Maybe. <laughs> and people yeah, are just coming true. by looking for free right. housing and money and, and, you know. The Apostle Paul dealt with that in Second Corinthians where yeah. he's like, look, we're right. not freeloaders. Yeah. Like, we, we didn't ask you to pay for anything. We, right. we put up our own room and board, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that could be, maybe there were false apostles who were saying, hey, give me money and Give me all this stuff and mooching off of people. One one commentary talks about this this office that he's he's or the the author's mentioning here is that of kind of like itinerant preacher, right? Itinerant messenger who goes around to different churches. And the idea there is if you're truly an itinerant preacher, you're moving from congregation to congregation, then you're not gonna stay in one place for right. too long, right? And so yeah. if if you're overstaying your welcome, it's a sign that maybe you're not who you claim to be. And I guess you're they wouldn't genuine. have any, no, they wouldn't know. They wouldn't know like, oh, I guess you're an itiner- itinerant preacher. We don't know because we don't have news traveling to us. Right. We don't know where you've been. We can't verify it. Yeah. So the fact that you're not on the move shows that you're not an itinerant preacher. Yeah. That would fit later on in Didache. It says that every true prophet who desires to sell among you is worthy of his food. Likewise, a true teacher ha- like the worker deserves his food. So if, if he's a genuine bona fide prophet, you should support him and, and, uh, but but make sure that you know that he's a genuine prophet, right? right he's going right. to be on the move, and he's not going to be asking for money or, or peddling you for money. Hmm. He's just going to come. He's, there's a modesty to his life. Yeah. Um, and then he the, the Didache says, don't test or judge any prophet who speaks in the spirit. And if you basically if you test if, if a prophet has been proven in his character to be a genuine prophet of the Lord, you shouldn't question what he prophesies. Apparently. Because that's amounting to blasphemy of the spirit. So long as he's prophesying, quote unquote, in the spirit, right? Whatever that means. Whatever that means. Yeah. I mean, and this 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 opens things up. We have to be honest. It does appear to be that these spiritual gifts are active in the Didache, which if it's written oh, yeah. in the first or second century, right. I mean, maybe it's written at the time. If if you're what people call cessationists, if you believe that the prophetic gift stopped after the death of the apostles, maybe you'd say that this was during that special period where right. the gifts were still operative, blah, 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 all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I mean, it seems like they expected prophets to be a regular part of the church's life. Sure, yeah. Um, now, I don't know how much we can pull out of this, but uh, it does seem to be that there's a phenomenon called speaking in the spirit mm-hmm. that seems That's to legitimate. be that seems to be God speaking right. through these prophets. And uh, but regardless of whether that continues, at least we see some safeguards, right? Mm-hmm. Like we said, make sure they're genuinely an itinerant prophet. Make sure that they have good character. That they're make teaching, sure they're not just after money, right? They're, they're teaching true doctrine. Right? He even says, every true prophet, if he performs a worldly mystery of the church, but does not teach others to do likewise, he must not be judged by you. He has his judgment in the presence of God, as with the prophets of old. So here's something interesting where mm. he's connecting these prophets with the old prophets. Yeah. Um, old Testament prophets, I Old guess? Testament prophets, yeah. yeah. So basically he's saying that uh, if he performs a worldly mystery of the church, maybe that's a miracle. I guess, maybe. But if he doesn't teach others, then you shouldn't judge him. But God will judge him, I suppose. Very strange stuff. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know how much to make of this. It, yeah. it could just be sort of maybe this was a problem that the early church was dealing with, and there were just these rampant fake prophets, and they were like, we need some sort of guideline to make sure that there's not abuse taking place of 
the scarce resources that these churches had in the first place. And so, you know, here's a guideline. If they stay more than two days, that's not a good thing. Um, if they're asking for money, that's suspicious. Yeah, I don't well, know. That seems says, like good advice. He also says, take every first fruit of the wine press and of the threshing floor of your oxen and your sheep and give as first fruits to the prophets for they are your high priests. Wow. And, uh, and he says, if you don't have a prophet, give your first fruits to the poor. Yeah, this is know. Old Testament straight out of... I, 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 now, <clears throat> I, I haven't studied this. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking this. There's, this is the early church, yeah. right? And you have the apostles operating. And the apostles are overseeing all of these congregations in different areas. And these apostles are over overseers or elders of these churches. Right. There seems to be... So there's, there's the 12 apostles... Right, Peter, mm-hmm. John, Paul, those guys—they're the big daddies, right? They're 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 called by the Lord. Then there seem to be sort of under apostles like Timothy and Silvanus and Titus, who Paul appoints, but they're still over multiple churches. It seems like right, right. And they can also appoint elders too. Mm-hmm. So you've got apostle level one, then you've got sort of apostle level two, right? And then you have presbyters or elders in those churches and deacons. So they're the local ones. And so you have big A apostles who are over a bunch of churches. Their assistants are the little A apostles. And they're over all these congregations with their own elders in their congregation. But it seems like passing in between all those congregations are these guys called prophets. <laughs> and some of those are prophets who are, the, who are just prophets. And some of them are apostles with the prophetic gift, right? Apparently, so maybe maybe that's what's going on. That in between, you've got these itinerant preachers going in between who aren't apostles, but or they're some, not sent by anyone. They're just maybe self, they're just sent. Yeah, I don't know. Self authorized. I don't know. Perhaps. Yeah. But apparently, some of the maybe some of the apostles had a prophetic gift, and then there were some non apostles with the prophetic gift, right. simply called prophets. Right. So maybe the apostles were like a all all apostles. Were prophets maybe, and maybe. Well, Paul distinguishes when he talks about his different roles or offices in the church. He says to some are given apostles, some are given right. prophets, some are given these True. things. True. So you know, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know what yeah, those I, roles are supposed to entail, but there I'm are not these sure categories. Either. I know, and there the, are these could categories. Could be that the categories are still being defined. That's like true. The, this is still really early on, and. What was Timothy? What was Titus? Were they were they bishops? Was there a distinction between bishop and elder? Does that come later? We talked about Polycarp was bishop of Smyrna and Ignatius was bishop of Antioch, all of Syria. Sure. Does that mean that you know he he pastored all the different congregations or or like you said, is he appointing elders who those were the ruling elders in each right. of those smaller churches? Um, the the church is is clarifying for itself these structures. As it's going on. And remember, this is a unique time where the church is small enough where you can have a handful of guys overseeing sure. the multiple regions. Um, yeah, it raises a lot of questions, but uh, I don't know if we can really finally answer but it's a, it's a learning experience. And it's yeah. amazing. I'd encourage <clears throat> anyone out there listening, read this for yourself. And it's fascinating. We're actually learning what was the New Testament church like. Yeah. Um, and uh, Speaking of what it was like. The next section tells you, it gives you a service, an order of service yeah, for... talk about that. You get, so you get specific instructions on what to do. Gather each Sunday, break the bread, give thanks, first confess your sins that your sacrifice may be pure. So this is, 
it's saying what to do on gather every every Sunday, for example. So right. that's important. That means that Christians were worshiping on the Lord's Day, that Sunday, not Saturday, which is so, huge. Yeah, that, that's a great indirect pointer to the truth of the resurrection. The resurrection that right. Why would these Jews change from their whole existence, their yep. whole like, from the, the inception of the Old Testament? Mm-hmm. They've been celebrating the Sabbath on a Saturday, and now they're changing that radically. Something had to have happened right. to cause that the switch. Sunday, the beginning of a new week, the beginning yeah. of a new creation, all that symbolism. And they break, they, so breaking bread there right. is Lord's Supper. Taking the Lord's Supper every, every week, Sunday. Yeah, every was, single was time that they get together. Confessing their sins. Yep. Uh, and... Uh, it, it, there's there's very specific destruction or destruction instruction. <laughs> if you have a disagreement, you got to reconcile. Yeah. Or also de- defiles the sacrifice. Hmm. Um, I, I wonder if the sacrifice refers just to a sacrifice of worship, or if, if that's a way of talking about the Lord's Supper. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I don't know, but it could be like the um, in. It also talks about the New Testament. If if you your your prayers can oh, yeah. be hindered, for example, if you're not uh, reconciled to your brother or to right. your wife, for right. example, or things like that. Perhaps. So you know, right. there's right. that. But again, the life of the church body is so important, right? You need to gather every Sunday. Yeah. And how you guys treat each other is of grave importance to the Lord, right? And then he talks about church leaders. He says, uh, appoint yourselves bishops and deacons who are worthy of the Lord. Uh, Men who are meek and not lovers of money and who are honest and proven. For they also perform the service of the prophets and teachers. Hmm. Therefore, do not hold them in contempt, for they are honorable men, along with the prophets and teachers. So it's, it seems like there's a class of prophets, teachers, bishops, and deacons, and uh, but they also perform the service of the prophet and teachers. This is kind of confusing so, a little bit. So there are bishops and deacons seem to be offices, mm-hmm. whereas teachers and prophets are skill sets or roles, ah. and you can have bishops and deacons sure. doing teaching and prophecy. Um, but not every not every bishop or deacon is a teacher or prophet. Not every prophet or teacher is a bishop or deacon. Right. So you can have, in the so same I, way that every pastor can teach, but not every teacher can be a pastor. Or, sure. You know. Sure. So I suppose that the prophets and teachers that's a spiritual gift. Right. Whereas the bishops and deacons are offices that they're elected to, ordained, or ordained yeah. to. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, there is no gift of bishop or gift of deacon. That's, That's something a good way of putting it. Yeah. that you are called into, that you're appointed to. Yeah. Whereas prophets and teachers are just a genuine category for people with this gift. And, and, and what's interesting is it does say appoint for yourselves bishops and deacons. So it's coming from the bottom up. Yeah. It's not right. coming from top down. Right, right. So you think of certain ecclesial models. Right. Uh, where is the power or the authority coming from in designating these? And you could say, well, this is because it's the first century. There is no structure above. But the Didache does prescribe that it's the seems like it's the local congregations, it's the believers that are appointing bishops. Right. And you even think about like when Augustine was made bishop of Hippo, is the people who took him right, right. and were like, and they we, had need, to know we need him. a bishop. We need someone. They so had you to know his character. It. And yeah. But it seems like the pattern is. The congregation selects a bishop, and then right. the bishop appoints elders yeah. or presbyters or yeah. pastors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, but it seems like the deacons are so elected by the congregation as well. Yeah. So uh, so because Titus, because Paul tells Titus, I want you to appoint elders. Right. Right. Um, but it seems like Titus would have been appointed by. Yeah. The congregation, perhaps. But then, but see, Titus. I know. Is he a bishop or I is he know. like? 
a weird apostle kind of hybrid. I, we don't really know either because Paul says, I laid hands on Timothy and mm-hmm. ordained Timothy. It seems like that was a direct thing. So maybe right. Timothy isn't necessarily what we call a bishop. He's more of like a lowercase apostle. So there's yeah. uppercase apostles. Yeah. This is getting confusing. Yeah, Let me try is. to clarify. <laughs> it seems like there's uppercase apostles. Those are the 12 who witnessed the resurrection, the Paul, John, Peter, Andrew, those guys. Mm-hmm. There's the uppercase A apostles. They selected and ordained <clears throat> lowercase A apostles like Timothy, Sylvanus, Titus. Right. And then people in the congregations appointed overseers or bishops. And uh, it seems like those bishops might have appointed other elders So you're saying well. the lower apostles are higher than the bishops? Yes. So Timothy was higher than a bishop? Perhaps. Maybe. It sounds good. I yeah, don't know. I don't know. And then there were <laughs> under bishops, and uh, it's getting, getting confusing. It but, is, yeah, it, it's weird. Uh, this is... Uh, yeah, this is why we love reading this stuff. But the uh, last yeah. section, <clears throat> the Lord is coming, talking about eschatology. This was, we were talking about this earlier. The, the decade yeah. might have been written before, before Revelation, Revelation yeah. was, you know? And, uh, so it's, it's interesting to see what they thought about right. the end times. And it, it, it looks, a lot of it comes from... And a lot of scholars have pointed this out, that there's a lot of similarities between the Didache and Matthew, the, the Gospel of Matthew, because both are written um, using very Jewish language, but the Didache is written to a non-Jewish mm-hmm. audience. But the way the Lord's Prayer is, the, the Trinitarian baptismal formula, and even the Sermon on the Mount stuff that we saw earlier, but all of the warnings about the end times you do see a lot of them in the Gospel of Matthew as well. In the last days, false prophets, false prophets and corruptors will multiply. The sheep will turn to wolves. Um, lawlessness will increase. Men will hate and persecute and betray one another. And so, yeah, you do get this sort of tribulation, persecution picture, many falling away uh, that you see in Matthew 24 and when Jesus talks about the last times. Um, but there is a little bit of an optimistic, then the signs of truth will appear, um, a sign of a rift in the heavens, a sign of a voice of a trumpet, and the, thirdly, the resurrection of the dead. So Christians were believing in the resurrection of the dead, and this was part of the catechumen training. This was right. what early believers this were taught we as believe. well. Yeah, yeah, and you know, gather together frequently, seeking what is necessary for your souls, mm. right? Because it's the last days. I mean, there's mm-hmm. an urgency, and uh, like you're saying, it is taken a lot from Matthew. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's this, there's this urgency. It, it it seems like the early church expected Christ to return soon. Soon, yeah. That's and, true. Uh, it's difficult to go to get away from that. But they were saying, man, gather together frequently. Seek what's necessary for your souls. That's a good word for today. Hmm. You know, you can't, can't, this was a matter of life and death, gathering as a church together. And, and there's uh, almost like a little, not, not quite a benediction, but like a little poem or something. At the end, yeah. 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 Do you, do you want to read it? Yeah. You, uh, this little poem, it, it's this little, uh, could it be a hymn? I, I don't know. It, it just says this, uh, the Lord shall come and all his saints with him. Then shall the world see the Lord coming upon the clouds of heaven with power and dominion to repay each man according to his works with justice before all men and the angels. So that expectation of Christ's return, mm-hmm. bringing judgment. Yep. Um, it fits in with a lot of the teachings we see in the gospel and oh, yeah, in Revelation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and it's a good it's a good promise to look forward to. Yes. So it's not just a watch out for the persecution, but this is the ultimate, and it's it's a nice way to to end that right. the Didache with this is what we look forward to that the Lord will come with the saints. We'll see the clouds open. We'll see the the final doling out of justice before all men and all the angels, and so it's a kind of like 
take heart, Christian, this isn't the end, despite the persecution, despite the difficulty. What a powerful word. Yeah. Good stuff. Early church stuff. Again, you can check this translation out uh, at LegacyIcons.com, I believe is the website, and encourage you to read it for yourself. Thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe, share us with a friend, leave a review. We'll be back next week. <laughs>